Yisrael Roll is a psychotherapist and rabbi from Baltimore, Maryland. He's developed an identity-based therapy model that's helped hundreds of clients make peace with the world around them. I taught with him about this model and what's motivated him to help others throughout his life and how we can all learn to let go of things outside of our control. I'm Josh Morgan. My conversation with Yisrael is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm publishing this episode on November the 15th, 2016. That's one week after voters in the United States elected Donald Trump to be their 45th president. From what I've seen since, there's been anxiety from supporters of both conservative and liberal ideologies about what's going to happen from here. That's why I thought it would be helpful to talk to Yisrael, and not just with the context of this election, but in general. We all have things that we worry about. I mean, some of us more than others. And I believe Yisrael's approach can give us a stronger sense of what makes us who we are as individuals. Because knowing who we are can help to reduce the negative effects of fear and intimidation. I'll let him talk about the concepts, but I think being able to imagine things like the wheel of strengths and the circle of control, it can help us to be more resilient when life makes us afraid. I guess the theme I wanted to convey with this episode is this. It's going to be okay. Here, let's take a breath. Whatever that thing is that has you worried right now, at this moment, whether it's your job or your family or the election, how you respond is what makes you who you are. You can still fight for what you believe in, but don't allow it to consume you. I don't know if you're like me, but I'd rather see myself as calm and collected, and that takes practice. I think what you'll hear Yisrael say can help you develop that for yourself. I talked with Yisrael at his home office in Baltimore. He was super accommodating, and I hope you like our conversation. Here's Yisrael Roll, psychotherapist and rabbi from Baltimore, Maryland. (laughs) So I've noticed that you've had a lot of different roles in your life. Like on your website, it said that you were an attorney and that you've been a psychotherapist for 12 years. You've had all these different roles and and you've been a rabbi as well. Um, I was just wondering, would you say there's been one mission that's guided you in all of these different roles or have you been motivated by different things at different times in your life? I think the common denominator has been to build people. When I was practicing law, I found myself encouraging clients who were facing difficulties and crises. When I was a rabbi, I decided that I would give one-to-one comfort and encouragement to people. You're no longer a rabbi? I'm a rabbi now as a rabbi means teacher. And officially, I was a rabbi of a synagogue in London, England. So I was a rabbi for nine years in London, England, led a congregation, and then founded a new congregation after that. Officially, at the present moment, I'm not a rabbi of a synagogue. Okay. So I'm still a rabbi um, in the community, and I teach, but I don't have a synagogue right now. We're a congregation that I lead. Now, as a psychotherapist, uh, in terms of giving encouragement to people, the common denominator in all of these situations is to build people's self-confidence, to build their self-esteem, to make them feel positive about themselves so that they can be the best they can be. So how did you wind up in Baltimore? What's your background? Well, after I served as a rabbi in London, England, I was offered a job here in Baltimore as an educator. Mm -hmm. And I took that job for two years here. And while I was 
teaching and uh, doing educational outreach here in Baltimore, I decided that I wanted to pursue the, the professional career of encouraging people. And it was not enough for me to say, you know, keep going rah, rah, you're doing great, fantastic, you know, hang in there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be more professional about it. So I joined the master's program at Johns Hopkins University and in a clinical counseling degree program, a master's program, got my degree and opened my uh, practice in 2004 uh, as a psychotherapist. Did you grow up in Quebec? I grew up in Montreal, Canada, speaking French. Oh, really? My favorite team with Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> they have not won the Stanley Cup for 23 years, oh, okay. but this year, I think they're 14 and one. 14 wins, one loss. They're ahead of the league. And this could be the year. (laughs) That's exciting. We're very excited about that. And, you know, when I was in London, I'll tell you how I first got interested in the concept of um, believing in people, self-esteem, building self-confidence. I was um, leading the synagogue in downtown London called the New West End Synagogue. It was just... 200 yards across the street from Kensington Palace, which is the palace of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. Okay. Okay. So I was a rabbi there from 1991 to 1997. And in November 1996, I went into my barbershop called Lucas's Hair Salon. And there I saw a woman who looked exactly like Princess Diana. So I turned to the gentleman on the couch opposite her and I said, is that the princess? He said, I don't know. It turns out he was her security guard. I then knew that this was the princess and I was about to meet the princess of Wales. So I sat down opposite her and I said, princess, I'm the rabbi of the new West End synagogue. She cut me off in mid-sentence and she said, do you mean rabbis can take off a half an hour for haircut? So I rose to the occasion and I said, it appears as if even princesses can take off a half an hour for a haircut. (laughs) Nice. And I said, princess, we have a musical concert taking place this Saturday night. And I had invited the princess. I reminded her about the invitation. I invited the princess to come to our concert, knowing that if she would come, We'd be able to announce in the presence of Her Royal Highness, the Princess of Wales. And we would pack out the synagogue and raise a lot of money for the synagogue. Right. But she wrote back, and I still have a letter today from St. James Palace saying that she was otherwise engaged that night and she was not able to come. So I said, um, you don't happen to be available tomorrow night by any chance to... And she said, no, I'm not available. So I said, okay. And I uh, realized that she had revealed to the world her problems with the royal family her estrangement from Prince Charles, Mm -hmm. her difficulty with the queen. And I said to her, we have a saying in Hebrew, chazak ve'amatz, be strong and of good courage. I wish the princess well. So I went back to the back of the store to get my hair washed to prepare for the haircut. And as I walked by the chair of the young man who was sitting next to her, I realized that was her son, Prince William. And she had come in with Prince William to get a haircut for him. So after they were leaving, I said, Lucas, you never told me that you do the prince and the princess's hair. And you, he said, well, I don't want to reveal it to anybody. It's a secret, right? He said, Lucas said, Rabbi, sit down. I said, I can't sit there. He said, why not? I said, that's the throne chair just vacated by the future king of England. Prince William is sitting in, was sitting in that chair. If I sit there, I'll never be able to wash my hands again. 
these hands will be holy. The king sat there. I see. So Lucas stood there with his scissors in his head and said, Rabbi, sit down. So I sat down. Mm-hmm. Your barber speaks, you listen. <laughs> so I sat down and I had my haircut and I was like in shock having had met the Princess of Wales, very famous, and uh, the Prince of Wales. So how would you expect it that day? Uh, not, not expecting that. Not expecting that at all. I came home, got ready uh, for the Sabbath. Um, Friday night uh, special service and dinner. And after I came home from the synagogue services, I told my wife and children, you'll never guess who I just met. I said, I just met the Princess of Wales and the future King of England. And I stopped. And I looked at the Sabbath table, beautiful white tablecloth, beautiful candles lit for the Sabbath and two beautiful loaves of bread for the challah that we eat on the Friday night and the kids bathed and looked so beautiful and all dressed up and our guests. And I said, you know something? He's a king and I'm a king. Look at this royal table. I'm the king of my house and my wife is the queen of her of our house. And I was thinking, what is it that royalty does? What is a king? A king leads, perhaps legislates in certain countries. The king passes law. But the ultimate job of a king is to provide for the people, to take care of health services, fire services, police services, take care of the people, to provide, to be a giver. And I thought, well, I can also be a giver Mm -hmm. as a king. That's what I do in my family. I give to my wife. I give to my children, give to my community. That's what being a king means. And I thought that in order to be a giver, You have to believe in yourself. You have to like yourself. If you feel needy, if you feel self-absorbed, if you feel have issues and you're, as some of my clients say, I'm fun-cused as opposed to confused. Oh, okay. Now I get it. Then you can't be a giver because you're always thinking about yourself. Right. That's a good point. So I figured if I get myself straight and help other people get their minds straight and think positively about themselves, then they could be a king. They can be a queen. They can be a giver. That's the job of a king and queen, to give. <laughs> but the only way to have that, have that happen is for a person to think positively about themselves. So therefore, I decided, you know what? I'm going to dedicate my life to building people so that they can feel good about themselves, so they can do good for the world and do good for others. And that's why I dedicated myself to, to being positive, self-confidence, self-esteem. Do you have a family history of these sorts of professions? No, no. My father was an engineer, my mother an accountant. My uh, grandfather was a, uh, a grocery store owner. And I decided that, you know, having done law, I wasn't really satisfied with my self-fulfillment, my self-actualization. Um, I wanted to do something more. And uh, then I became a rabbi and now a psychotherapist. So I was hoping you could give an overview of your identity model. Um, I know there's a lot of layers to it, so it'd be hard to summarize everything, but I was hoping you could kind of give a a brief overview. Sure. I've developed a concept called identity therapy. And I believe that the common denominator of all counseling is if a person knows who they are, what their strengths are, and believes in themselves, then they can be the best they can be. And that will solve their anxiety, their depression, their self-apprehension. It will not solve schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. That is required by medication. But many of our uh, medications for people with anxiety and depression are done or are given 
together with therapy. And I believe that studies have shown that talk therapy affects the same area of the brain as does the medication. It changes the brain waves, changes the brain operation, and makes it think more positively uh, by uh, speeding up the uh, neurotransmitters in the brain. So identity therapy takes a model of using the three dimensions of self, the cognitive part of self, the emotional part of self, and the behavioral part of self, three dimensions of self, the mind, the heart, and the actions of a person, and says, let's align them and one integrated whole of a person. So when we have the cognitive or the mind awareness of my value, I take a person and I ask them to uh, draw a circle, and I divide the circle up into six dimensions of self. The intellect, social skills, character, spirituality, family background, and accomplishments. And I ask people to write down two strengths they have in each category. What are your mind strengths? What are your social skill strengths? What are your character strengths? What are your spiritual strengths? How are you as a family member and contributing to your family? And what are your accomplishments? And a person gets a sense of, hmm, I'm aware now that even though I didn't feel good about myself, but if I break it down into the six categories, I do have qualities. I do have abilities. I do have innate strengths that can make me feel good about myself. Then I say, okay, let's now move to the second category, the emotional strengths. And I ask people to develop an awareness of their emotional equilibrium by imagining a beautiful place they've been to. What's the most beautiful place you've been to in your life? It could be Niagara Falls. It could be uh, the Wisconsin lakes. It could be uh, the Pacific Ocean. It could be an orchard, a sunset. And go there in your mind and just imagine being there. And a person automatically feels calm, relaxed, peaceful, inspired in that place. And I say to them, this place that you are in right now makes you feel aligned with the universe. And the deeper reason why you are aligned with the universe is because you are aligned with yourself. That this particular place that you're in right now makes you feel good really is a representation of your highest self. So if it is a lake or water, that represents your character trait of flowing, of giving. If it's a mountain, it means that you are strong-willed, you are a giver, you are a powerful, creative person. So I feel that there's a correlation between the place a person feels good about themselves and uh, their beautiful place that they they want to go to and and their character. Hmm. And I believe that a person really intuits themselves in nature. That's why we feel good in certain places in nature and not in other places, because it's really an intuition of yourself. You're really seeing yourself. You're inspired by your own true self. It's symbolism. It's symbolic of your true self. I wasn't aware of that aspect though, but that's interesting. So when I think when a person goes to their beautiful place, their beautiful place and their beautiful mountain or the beautiful ocean or their orchard or the sunset or an experience that they had that made them feel good about themselves, then they're seeing themselves in that place. And you, you get back to the self. You get back to feeling good with yourself. That's an emotional connection with yourself. Mm-hmm. So not only do you now have a cognitive awareness of your strengths, now you have an emotional awareness with your strengths. You line up your mind and your heart. And the third aspect of identity therapy is the behavioral or physical dimension of self, where a person will realize that there's something called the circle of control. 
where there is a circle of things in my life and there are certain things outside my control, like the weather, like what my boss says to me, like what my spouse is going to say to me or my kids, how they behave or not. These things are outside my control. What do I usually think about or worry about are all the things outside my control. So I say, if a person tries to control things outside their control and they can't control them, how are we going to feel? What do you think? They're going to feel anxious, anxious, frustrated, upset, angry, because you can't control things that you can't control. Right. It's frustrating. Mm -hmm. So I say, let's go to the inside of the circle of control. What can you control? And inside the circle, you realize that the only thing you can control are my own thoughts, my own feelings, my own reactions, my own words. If I focus on what I can do, what I can say, what I can deal with in this particular situation, then a person can act in the moment, in the present, and say, I can deal with this. I can handle this. I can make things happen in my own world and not worry about what other people are doing or the weather or things outside my control, but take back control of my life by saying, what can I do right now in my own life Take control of my life. Therefore, this is the third area called behavioral where I can take control of my physical life and make choices in the present tense to live now. So now we have three dimensions of self. We have the cognitive, which is the wheel of strengths, this circle of, of awareness of my strengths. I have an emotional equanimity and equilibrium that I feel in my soul state, feel good about myself emotionally, and I can act in the present. And this is a three-step process where a person can feel aware, conscious, and then activate themselves and actualize themselves. You know, you're talking about the circle of control made me think back to your analogy of being royal in your own household, because that's sort of like your domain of things that you can be assured that you control. You have to be a king in your own house. And king in your own soul. So if a person is master of themselves, you can have emotional mastery, cognitive mastery, physical mastery over yourself. You can't be master anyone else but yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's called, I guess, as you say very nicely, the, to be king over yourself, to be master of yourself, master of your own emotions. Right. Instead of being master of somebody else or try to lord yourself over to control somebody else, to master yourself. That's a very good idea. I like that. Yeah. So... Given all these different roles that you've played in your life and now you're a psychotherapist, how do you learn to separate your own needs and your own emotions from those of your clients? Because I've talked with other practitioners who sort of express this too, that, you know, sometimes I want to sit people down and tell them what to do, but that's not always the best approach. Sometimes you have to let them figure it out for themselves. That's right. So how do you separate that from your own desires? That's a very good question. Um, I try to lead people to make their own decisions and to try to find within them own, their own selves the answer to their question. I think the answer when you go to the soul state, when you go to your mind state, your cognitive state, your soul state or your emotional state, and you meditate upon that, then the answers come to you. That's what you need to do. I don't tell them what to do. I just try to have them, I guide them to discovering what's inside themselves, their own true self, their own true answers. And I do the same thing for myself. That's how I find it. And actually, when people are doing it, I go to my own soul state and try to intuit what they're feeling. And then on my own, uh, when I go to synagogue or on my own meditation, I meditate and I think about my own self. And I try to find my own soul state, my own identity therapy. So that's how I do it. I do my own identity therapy as I'm doing the, the therapy with other people. I do it on my own. I do it in my own time and uh, try to find my own emotional 
uh, equanimity. And one more thing, mm-hmm. hockey. <laughs> I play hockey, play, play baseball. And that way I had some, some physical sport and some exercise and uh, exercise every day. So I think that uh, exercise is very important. It creates um, uh, an enzyme called dopamine in the body where a person that's called a happy enzyme. And when you exercise, you get that going and you, you uh, produce more dopamine. So I think that exercise is really important for someone's mental health. Uh, and I think um, I don't get too much exercise watching the Montreal Canadiens play, but I do get exercise when I, when I work out myself. So I think I encourage everyone to do some exercise and uh, every day and do 20 minutes of exercise a day or 30 minutes and get your dopamine going. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me because you can establish the wheel of strengths in your mind, you know, those, those six different dimensions of things that you like about yourself. And then you can sort of get in tune with who you are as a person and your heart. But then if your body doesn't perform at the same level as those other two dimensions, and I can see how it would be hard to truly experience yourself. That's right. And I think that uh, the three of them uh, align very much with what uh, the early uh, philosophers talk about the body the heart and the soul, or as Freud called it, the id, the ego and the superego, three dimensions of self, right? The id is the body, the desires, the ego is the self reason, and the superego is the conscience or the soul. So these three things about mind, heart, and body align with those three things. The person has to have all three in order to be a fully functioning person. I wanted to back up, um, is there a branch of psychology or psychotherapy that, that you would categorize your identity therapy model as? I, I, think I call it gestalt therapy. It's, it's a subset of gestalt, which means whole therapy or the whole being therapy. Mm-hmm. It's experiential. Uh, I do a lot of uh, meditative work, a lot of relaxation work, a lot of um, empty chair work where I ask the person to speak to a person as if they are in the empty chair in front of them. For example, if you have a problem with somebody and they're not in this room right now, I'd say, here's an empty chair and imagine the person is sitting in that chair. What would you say to him right now? Mm-hmm. How would you express yourself to that person right now? Uh, and this is sort of an experiential role play therapy. And I believe that living the moment, experiencing the moment, experiencing yourself and experiencing the other person in this room, I believe is very therapeutic, cathartic gives a person a sense of uh, living out their, their therapy rather than just talking about it. So I don't believe that talk therapy enough is enough. I think people have to act out the therapy to do, to do a role play therapy and to really experience the emotions within themselves to experience the pain. I do a technique called a regression therapy where I take a person back to their inner child to embrace the pain of their childhood and to try to make, to integrate themselves with that. So that's a, a very uh, holistic uh, realistic type of therapy where people experience themselves as opposed to just talking about themselves. Mm-hmm. So as we're recording this, we just had a presidential election a few days ago and there seems to be a lot of tension and anxiety about how the future is going to play out. So I was curious, would you have any tips for someone who may be listening to help them relax and calm down? Like, how how can they internalize this sense of having a circle of control? Right. Well, I believe it's part of the circle of control in that what's going to happen with the new president-elect, what he's going to do in, in the country is not in our control. Mm-hmm. We elected him. The majority of Americans through the electoral college 
And now it's up to him. So our job is to focus on what we can do in our circle of control to live our own lives with our mind, our heart, and our soul and our body, and do what I can do to be the best husband I can be, the best father I can be, the best uh, employee I can be, the best uh, friend I can be. And whatever happens outside of ourselves, I say to myself, I can handle this. I'll react to it. I'll deal with it. So most issues that the president is going to do, except for perhaps Obamacare or jobs, etc., don't really affect us directly. Mm-hmm. They'll affect the country as a whole, they'll affect the philosophy of the country, the perhaps the general economy of the country, a tax return or a tax rebate, etc. But at the end of the day, we have to maintain control over what I can do in my own life. And that's take back control. Just like make America great again is taking back control of America. I think we have to take back control of ourselves and say, you know what, there are certain things that are going to happen over here, but I can control my own destiny by being sure that I'm my mind, my heart, and my body are focused on what I can do in my own life to affect change in my own life. Right. I get the impression you primarily see Jewish clients. No, I see Jewish clients and non-Jewish clients. And I believe that my identity therapy approach works across the board with all races, all religions, all faiths, male, female, children, or, or uh, even uh, teenagers as well. It's a really across-the-board approach that if a person knows who they are, aware of their strengths, feels inspired, feels capable, and also is able to act and empowered, I believe that a person can function. And therefore, the system works. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the actual equality of humanity, that we're all the same. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what religion we are or, or gender we are. The, the body and the mind and the soul are all the same in everybody. And that's, you know, it says in the, in the Bible, all men are created in the image of God. And I really see that. We're all created in the image of God. Each person is unique and special and has a unique contribution to make. And my whole theory is, what is your unique contribution to society? Why are you here? Why did God put you here? Each one of us is here for a reason. We're not here for randomness, by mistake, by accident. We're here for a reason and we're here to make a contribution. And I try to help develop each person's potential by saying, what are your strengths? What are your abilities? What are your emotional abilities? What are your physical abilities? Let's use them to actualize yourself. If someone was listening and they wanted to make a difference in the world, but they didn't know exactly what to do, would you have any advice on where they could start based on your own experiences and your work? I think a person should write down what they're good at. What are their character traits? I think the key... Do you have some examples? uh, Character traits would be like this. Um, Like, what are you good at? Creativity, leadership, sensitivity, compassion. These are not all mine, but uh, my two are creativity and engagement with people. Um, But the, the, the list can go like this. Here's a list of character traits, which I ask your listeners to uh, write down and say, which ones are my main themes in my life? One is uh, leadership. Another is consistency or perseverance. Another is compassion. Another is sensitivity, empathy. One is kindness, patience, giving, honesty, integrity, forgiving. And 
And one of the most important ones is resilience, being able to bounce back from a mistake, bounce back from a setback and move on. So if you write down what your strengths are, then you really can get a hold of what you're good at and then use that strength, that character trait to actualize yourself and be the best you can be. So how would that translate into action? I guess once you get all those characteristics in your mind, then that aligns with your heart and then that translates into action. Is that correct? Exactly right. And then I ask the person, well, what do you want to do with your life based on the strengths you have and limitations? What can you do to actualize yourself, to make a contribution, to make a difference in this world? And I believe each person can make a difference. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to have self-confidence. And that self-confidence is not based on some faking yourself out or some phoniness. It's based on real facts. What are your mental strengths and cognitive strengths? What are your emotional strengths? What are your physical strengths? What are you good at? What are your accomplishments? Now go and see on that basis, what are you good at? And let's go make that happen. So I don't think it's person faking themselves out. I think it's a person who's saying, let's take an inventory of what my strengths are and let me make a difference in what I want to do with life. I think a person can really feel inside themselves, what do I want to do? What is my desire, my my uh, intention or my hope that I can make a difference in? And then you go and make it happen. Something you just said that reminded me of why I enjoy your approach so much is, you know, a lot of times we'll hear if we're not confident or if we have issues with self-esteem, that sort of thing, that you're supposed to fake it until you make it. But with your model, you identify what you already have and what you like about yourself. And then you build on those things instead of trying to trick yourself. That's right. You have to believe in yourself and it has to be based on real facts, not on faking yourself out. But I ask a person to be honest with themselves. And yes, of course, we have limitations. We have mistakes we've made. And Oh, there's that too. You have to be honest with yourself. That's right. But I think that if we focus on the strengths model, then the strengths will answer your limitations. The strengths that you have will be the antidote to one's limitations and character flaws. We all have a positive contribution to make. We also each have a flaw to correct. So we have to make a contribution in the positive sense. We also have to make a course correction in terms of our personal character and uh, develop a, a change and improvement of myself. If someone wanted to learn more about your work, I know you've written several books and you have a YouTube channel. Um, where would be the best place to follow you online? So you can just check me out on the Yisrael Roll YouTube channel. See my website, anxietytherapy.org. Or you can email me, uh, yisraelroll at gmail.com. Um, you can pick up a one of my books um, uh, called Shut Up and Stay Married. And uh, or another book called Inner Peace. Or one book called uh, When the Going Gets Tough. So um, there are a few books out there and um, be happy to take your emails or phone calls. Great. Something I didn't realize that some therapists did was you actually offer services over Skype. Is that right? I do. I do uh, Skype counseling. I've got clients in Gibraltar, uh, South Africa, uh, really? Israel, England. Uh, so I, I do a lot of work around the world and um, I'm very fascinated that this same system works with people around the world. That's great. Is there anything you'd like to talk about that we haven't brought up already? No, I think I look forward to uh, getting some feedback from some of your listeners as to um, what they think about my, my program and uh, my identity therapy. And uh, hopefully um, I would like to 
see myself as a person who empowers and inspires people to be the best they can be. Great. That's all I have. Thank you, Josh. This is the Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.